Cool. I'm going to give it a sync. Should be good. Yo, uh, what's up? Good, good. And you? <laughs> good, good. Uh, I think um, I want to start with, I mean, <laughs> so Guillermo, what, what's power? <laughs> why, why don't we start there? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great place to start. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think um, power is probably one of the topics mostly written about. So there is a lot of discussion yeah. on power and consequently a lot of discussion on what it is, um, how it can be investigated, um, and uh, from many different perspectives. Like, so the, the definitions come from different perspectives, from social psychology, from philosophy, from political science, from anthropology, from everywhere. So what we will be talking about is um, social power, right? So something just to, it's uh, it's irrelevant, but just to narrow down <laughs> I mean, our action potential. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it would be cool if we started with what, maybe give us the broadest view of power and then to, to put what social power is in the context of power in general. And then let's focus on social power. Like if you could give us like, if you say we're focusing on social power, what are we excluding? Like, what's the broadest view of power in your mind? Um, well, we, we, from my perspective, we would be going to physics. Oh, okay. So that's, that's so what like I, force. Force. Okay, okay. Yeah, so, so power, we're talking about power maintained between two, like, uh, complex biological systems. Exactly. Yeah, usually we'll focus on mammals for now. Exactly. Okay, okay. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. specifically more primates. In terms yes. Of power. Yep. yes. Okay, cool. Um, we, we could include it highly social, uh, um, complex uh, biological <laughs> uh, agents. But um, I think the primates, in the, especially us, uh, are a good case to understand power. Um, humans have um, have a much more rich and complex um, um, social niche on where power um, uh, dynamics emerge. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, old definitions of power. Um, goes through the idea of being able to um to accomplish to, or to attain an outcome so this is a little bit it it leaves the social aspect a little bit um out of of, of the the equation so it's just uh, the the ability to to get what you want yeah and and I guess there are two ways to think about it. You have, um, from an individual st- standpoint, it's the ability to get what you want. And then from a group or social standpoint, it's the ability to have some kind of coordination. So if you have like two individuals mm. and they're trying to coordinate, and this is actually more what you were going yes, uh, yes. If, if you have two individuals trying to coordinate, and this can be social animals or it can be snakes, mm-hmm. um, how they're going to coordinate in a sense might be just power dominant, like physical dominance. Yes. And in society or how I view it, at least society allows for the uh, migration away from physical dominance as the only coordination strategy, mm-hmm. and society allows for other coordination strategies aside from physical dominance. Yes. Right. Well, the, the, they are all the kind of, of, of um, 
status differentiation in in animals as well. So, mm. so um, they can most they will mostly use physical dominance, but there is a, there's traditions and inheritance. So, um, if I'm if a, if a, a, a Hazus macaque, it's it's a daughter of um, of a alpha female. She by proxy becomes uh, alpha female when she gets older, and things like that. So it's not only dominance. Uh, um, individuals also have to be competent uh, to a certain extent to to uh, fulfill so certain um, um, whole roles on on the group. Uh, there is like numerous accounts of of uh, and chimpanzees um, of males or the alpha males being really good at um uh, of um dissolution of conflicts things like that so that's my include some 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 aspects of physical dominance but also being able to 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 create a certain uh group coordination group uh, stability and things like that. So yeah, anima animals are not about only dominance. There's yeah, um, and these, but these are all social animals as well. Yes, the ones that you mentioned. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So minus society, you get this physical dominance at play, mm -hmm. uh, and then yeah. once you include society, you get all these really sort of more nuanced ways to to have power. Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, but yeah, turning to um, turning into the most. Uh, sociological sociological aspect of it um definitions of power goes through the idea of uh, interdependence so there is no so so now we are going to into the social perspective of it so um there is no powerful without powerless mm -hmm. so there is always a, 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 it's always power is always relative um so in, within this definition, so would be the capacity of attaining an outcome in despite of resistance of a second party. Right. Okay. Yep. So your outcome could be, or my outcome could, could be changing your mind in relation to 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 what you believe. It could be getting a resource that we both would like to have. So, so in this case, we we're going. Purely, and I think it's the most probably the most useful uh, definitions uh, de definition of power uh, when we go into the interrelational aspect of it, and rightfully so because within social animals there is no powerful without powerless. Yeah, you can't be you can't be the most powerful person if you're standing alone in a field. Yes, right. Exactly. There needs to be somebody else. Yeah, uh, which also. And we'll touch upon this probably later, but uh, introduces an interesting problem of when you have power, you have to ensure that the people you have power over also survive. And if they don't survive, then you might lose access to power. If you're competing purely on survival grounds and your survival isn't contingent upon the survival of the people, then they can die. It's fine. Mm -hmm. But usually most social animals require the societies that they're embedded in. And therefore, the powerful need to care at least some degree for the powerless. Yeah, 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 definitely. And that's where it gets interesting, right? Yeah. Because then we have all of this more intricate and different kinds of aspects of the, investig of the investigation of power. And then, again, 
like several definitions and several ways to look at it. But that's where it gets interesting because um, standard definitions would, would go through uh, dependence-based uh, power. So um, it's kind of... Um, it's kind of a, an idea that it's really useful for, for uh, experimental research because we can define variables that we consider uh, to be a relevant variable for observing the exercise of power. So um, what we have is, is an asymmetry on resources between us, influence, knowledge, re uh, material resources, um whatever and um the dependence between what we both wanted to achieve is will be influenced by the asymmetry that we have on those resources and therefore we can uh look at the lab what happened and how people make decisions based on on these asymmetries there is other kind of asymmetries that's where i said that it gets interesting that i think you would find actually more interesting uh, on, on um, you mentioned before, power as as consent. So the idea that to be powerful, you have to have people to be powerful over, and those people to consent <clears throat> to consent your power, they also have power over you. Um, and the other branch would be the identity-based that I think you would be more interested on. Um, on the idea that like we can have asymmetry in resources, but our identity um, also shapes also shape the way or also shape what we think that is a valuable resource. So. Um, you can, your professor can have, can, can, can grant you um, um, recommendation letter, uh, but if you are in academia, but you actually wanted to be a musician, your, the recommendation letter has no power over you. Uh, so, the, so there is, or also in the identity base, there is this idea that you also get you also increase your power by by making your group powerful so you could you could dismiss your the, your group weaknesses and increase your group uh like with your own beliefs i mean or or, or with discourse or whatever and therefore you can feel more powerful and you can be more you can self identify yourself or you can identify yourself as as having more power within this identity. So there are all these branchifications, branch of, of, of definitions and investigations of power. Then we will all go through the... Um, I, th I think there's a, a lot of conciliation that can be done. It's just because there's so many of, 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 uh, of, of research prints and, and so many definitions, so many topologies of power that becomes a little bit, and I'm only talking about more kind of a philosophical to uh, psychological um, perspective on it. We can go to sociology and then it gets much broader than that. Yeah, I think there, there are a few things that, that it made me think of. Um, 
One is about consent and how consent is only useful unless you have so much power that you can suppress consent. And I think we see that in sort of what we would call authoritarian dictatorships. Mm -hmm. This is literally the case, that there isn't necessarily consent, but uh, consent is, is suppressed with force. So there you have uh, different types of power actually converging. And it seems like the because being alive is such an important aspect to uh, <laughs> power dynamics, uh, the, the threat of physical violence always supersedes every other type of power, which is a very interesting and, and pervasive idea. And it, it seems like a lot of society, especially human society, is, is built to manage this risk, or that's the sort of ideal of global society, is to attempt to manage the risk of physical threat. But physical threat is always an undercurrent, and obviously it's very widely used in the world today. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say physical threat is almost predominantly used over other types of power. Yes. Um, but one of the interesting things is, um, sort of as, a, as another side tangent, is when you mentioned the professor in the, in the recommendation letter, is that, like you said, we have to identify and accept that certain resources are valuable. Mm -hmm. And so power comes along with this sub-idea of uh, the powerful can withhold resource. And mm -hmm. I think that that's a really sort of interesting dynamic, especially in the social realm, is we have to agree on the, the resource that's being withheld. So there's kind of like a resource domain specific type of power mm -hmm. where if somebody in a particular field is really respected in that field, step outside the field and they don't probably don't have any power. Yes. Uh, and so that that's also a really interesting thing. So you have this domain specificity of, of power and then you have this the fact that physical threat seems to supersede every other uh, domain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why I like uh, uh, I like Bourdieu a lot. <laughs> uh, I like the idea of fields. I like the, um, the idea that there, there are specific kinds of of powers uh, and different ways that what or how to manage the tools of power uh, can differ within within the same person just by going in different fields and acting within these fields. So I think that this idea is it's, it's much um, interesting for me. Um, I think it's very researchable, actually. I was just thinking about that. We, we have to talk about more of that because uh, I think uh, there's, there's some stuff to be explored there. Probably there are some people that already did some exploration on that, but that's, that's super cool to think about um but yeah i think can i add one more thing yeah sure go ahead uh, interrupt there, me there's the the one other thing that i think was really interesting was the mention of of belief like believing you're powerful mm -hmm. and that kind of it's an interesting thing because then when we just look at belief as a field and then uh going from basically we're talking about power now and then how that relates to belief. But if you center the focus on belief and then talk about power, uh, so for, from the belief side outward, it's kind of like every belief that you have in general is going to be uh, internally stored. You mm -hmm. can believe anything. And then there are going to be factors in your environment that are going to either contrast that belief, uh, like um, – be congruent with that belief or incongruent with that belief. Mm -hmm. And so you you basically have the responsibility um, for yourself to 
to reconcile the incongruencies between what you believe and what you perceive from your environment. Mm -hmm. So you can walk around thinking you are the most powerful, important person in the world. Uh, and you can continue believing that. But if the world doesn't agree, mm -hmm. then the world will either uh, fundamentally destroy that version of your identity, uh, mm -hmm. if not you as well, your physical being, or you will cave and it will shape your identity to restructure and understand that you are not the most powerful person on the planet. So there's sort of this interesting yeah. thing where, yeah, belief is, uh, power is definitely contingent upon belief. And then your your beliefs are contingent upon your your perception of your environment and your willingness to cave to that perception. Yeah, yeah. Again, yeah, well, it, I think it, it could get really complex, right? Because if your belief that is that the mo uh, the only resource that you need is self-esteem, <laughs> yeah. then, then <laughs> like, <clears throat> and you can have it be because, because you are the most powerful person in the world. Everybody can tell you anything that won't shake your self-esteem and you will have this resource and you don't need anybody else to have it. Yeah, as long as you have access to clean water and grow your vegetables. I yes, guess exactly. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, you yeah. have the, the material resource. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned the, the um, like the dominance. Well, there is this uh, the dual strategy theory of uh, of uh, the status, um, um, and you mentioned the dominance or physical threat is the is the is the most um, um, used um, strategy to attain power or to to exer uh, to exercise power. But there, there are a lot of things there as well related to belief, right? There is a straightforward, um, um, immediate violence, um, uh, um, well, it, violence can, can, can happen in this immediate case on where if I, if I threaten you, not threaten, if I actually, well, that, that's where I want to get to because because well, we hear a lot in media <laughs> nowadays, just uh, things like uh, um, yeah, we will defend ourselves, or we are um, we are resisting, or we are, and things like that. And and if you can you can push it to the belief that you are being threatened, or that there is an immediate threat to you. And if someone withdraw or someone has the capacity to withdraw resources from you, you can feel that threaten, threatening. You, you can, so that's also complex and it's also complicated. There is immediate violence and it's, it's plain and simple. But at, at some point, the kind of like the borders start to be a little bit blurry of like, yeah, I feel threatened or I've, I've like, there is an Im immediate, there's a potential for, for, viol for, for you to be, to, to exert violence against me. So it, at some point it gets a little bit blurry. So I would be even more, I, wouldn't, I would be even careful with, with the, the, the idea of dominance as something that is very well defined and very well, um, like the borders are very well um, defined because uh, there, is, there is a lot there. Yeah, there, and I think that this is this is used to great effect in a lot of art as well. Is the the undercurrent that the threat of violence is present, and I think that's just because 
of unfortunately how present it is in our in our daily lives and that changes a lot of the interactions we have what we're willing to accept even i mean what we're willing to accept as a valuable resource uh can sometimes be changed because we're in a position where we have to accept a certain deal that isn't beneficial for us and so these are the kinds of things that that power can do and i think that once we start looking at at social power things start getting really complex but i think the undercurrent or the grounding for a lot of the things is uh if you don't concede then you will lose your livelihood so i think that the threat to your existence i think that power is always an existential thing mm-hmm. even if it's not immediate you can tie it back to something like that so if i have economic dominance over you uh may, potentially i could withhold resources or i can pay people to withhold resources from you mm-hmm. uh or i can pay people to reho- uh withhold resources like information mm-hmm. and so there's always like information asymmetries involved in power as well which is why if you know if somebody who's extremely wealthy decides to run for political office there's always a bit of hesitation there for i think any reasonable person of okay well they have a lot of money uh they can control media narratives they can just pay people who don't agree with them to just mm-hmm. work because they it can be in their best interest so uh aside from and aside from these two i think you also have something like a legal power where you have a framework where i i'm legally endowed with power because i'm an elected official mm-hmm. uh and then that allows me to again use the force of the state whether that's prison or police or military whatever so there it's very it's very interesting and like you said very difficult to disentangle what power is when the base power is if you don't accept it at some point it's going to impact your existence it's always an existential threat yes i agree i agree um I think I I still have a long way to go with my research especially on this domain because um um I I I hope I get somewhere but uh, but start to shape some some views on it and it looks it looks like for me I again I don't want to 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 just draw the line and and, and say that I'm right but I just wanted to put it out there maybe there is a, there is a there 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 are concerns there are material concerns and there are psychological concerns and that's uh, that's how i would go about it so the the, the things that they 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 are n- materially needed for you and the things that you perceive as needed and um probably probably there there is a, a blurred line between them as well um but that's how about i would go maybe maybe as 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 i think you like it to 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 put stuff there is a spectrum of materiality and beliefs mm-hmm. in the other side and somehow in the middle there is something in between them and um, is that we dr- d- and then we can characterize <clears throat> everything on this on this axis as as resources yeah that's interesting uh yeah it, it it's almost like the um the same the same spectrum I was defining before which you know fully agree with, with which is that on one end you have somebody who 
only believes what they want to believe mm-hmm. and then somebody who is only impacted by their environment mm-hmm. and everything we have the identities that we build are some some mixture of the two mm-hmm. um where where most people fall on average on that spectrum that we can paint we have to think more about that but i everybody is some kind of mix of i have these beliefs and my beliefs to some extent or to a large extent are shaped by by my context and i think that's true in terms of the resources we think we need versus the resources we actually need and that psychology plays a plays a big role um which is why a a, a child can throw a tantrum when they're denied television access mm-hmm. they they believe they need the resource mm-hmm. uh they don't actually need it um oh. but but they believe they do and it's psychologically impactful and i think that's what that's a really good use case and maybe this just comes to mind but the exact opposite case is if you look at the opium wars uh between uh China and the UK uh, in the 1800s Chi- the Chinese population the Chinese government saw that opium was damaging its population's integrity its economic system's integrity and so they outlawed opium and the Chin- the uh UK government was like well we make a lot of money off of opium so they literally waged a war to force the Chinese government to import the opium to its own people very very sadistic um very dark i think it's a, a very dark chapter in human history i think a very um but it just shows that even sort of it's the opposite of the kid in the television example where somebody's saying i don't need or want this but then a power structure is saying well you're going to consume it mm-hmm. is very very dark but it's very important to understand the the extent of power and what what power can do is even if you don't accept the validity of a resource other people can with with the threat of withholding other things can force you to consume that resource. Mhm. Yeah. P- probably probably actually most of the resources are probably probably in the middle range between beliefs and actual resources. That's how actually the word works nowadays, right? So, um we are we are make believe that some things are valuable and some other things are not. And maybe if we looking if if we look careful on well i think i think there is there is a distinction to be made there as well right so there might be the convention of something being valuable resource and therefore a valuable tool for power and that could be an outcome of a historical process and there might be a more uh immediate case on on you are being bombarded with the information constantly that something is valuable and something else is not it could i'm not saying that is intentional but it could be structural to the point that individuals maintain um like the question is for example um how prestige it is sought today right so someone um well th- th- there is uh, the, well yeah we, we go with the, the Paris Hilton effect or something like this so um someone becomes famous or prestige just because or just because they are seen and and be seen become a valuable uh resource right 
being famous is the reason why you're famous. Exactly. Right. Um, how 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 does how does it come to be? How does it how does it how does the structure fit itself into that direction? Right. Because uh, because we can think about like historical processes that lead to some like, and then we can go even to 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 Foucault ideas of power on how how the medical practices um, influence or shaped the individual's beliefs of what is healthy and what is not, like psychologically healthy, you know. Um, and that's a, like you will put it like in a historical process. And I I, I kind of like not maybe because maybe because it's in, in it is in our time life that things like a TikTok um, uh, celebrities <clears throat> emerge. Maybe we are, maybe we are not maybe I am not distant enough to see the historical process happening, and I see as as something like well. There are big companies that wanted to profit to profit out of there, and there are individuals who want to profit out of it. So the machine just feeds itself into 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 making it into a valuable resource. You're saying like the the symbol of the individual into a valuable resource. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And so I think it's one of these interesting things where we get you have certain media companies who are built around this concept. Um, mm -hmm. trying to make make content about people. Um, in, in the United States, you have things like TMZ, which is like a, uh, a tabloid about famous people. And so it's interesting because you get, you get them trying things out all the time. And some of them stick and some of them don't. And there's mm -hmm. no clear reason why one person might be famous after a set of articles and one person might not. We remember Paris Hilton because there was a, a random set of stories and they ca caught fire and then people started watching Paris Hilton and for whatever reason she accumulated enough mass to become a star right mm -hmm. and so that but she was like one of many iterations of random people they just throw at the wall and mm -hmm. see if they stick mm -hmm. and so that's a really interesting sort of thing is will they consume this will they and so it's like um, fits in with this whole consumerism mindset of what we were talking about before which is you may, there are some resources that are objectively important and then some that are important just because a, a market has been created mm -hmm. for them. And consumerism yep. is built on this concept of we can make a market around a product. And this is sort of the great uh, realization, I think, of the, of the 20th century for companies was that people's attention is one of the main resources that, they can then sell. And if all the, if they can uh, generate the power to, uh, to actually harvest the attention, then what they can do is after harvesting the attention, sell the attention to create more demand for other things. And I think that that's the really powerful thing that, mm -hmm. that t radio did and television did. And then obviously to the extreme, uh, things like Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Well, there is there is many layers <laughs> there as well. Uh, there is there is the exercise of power because what I was thinking is just like okay, so now maybe we have the technological tools to 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 hack 
uh, conventions and, and cultural evolution in, in general. So if you have enough money to have a platform on which you establish what it is the design of it, you, you can you can drive what people believe that it is a good product. And, and that's the point because because a lot of people would say um, or people could say, well, humans are just we we're like because you mentioned something. Well, they find something that catch people catch uh, people attention people's attention. So someone could go and say, well, people would 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 pay attention like we would be driven we would be biased to pay attention to those things anyways. Those guys just found something. Um, that we would be paying attention to something regardless. They just found the thing to yeah. pay attention to. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Or in another token, you could say th that they created their own demand for it. So that's that's what I'm trying to disentangle here. So um, the the difference between people needing to focus on something in general versus the idea that we need to focus on something being created. I'm not sure if I catch it. What I mean is that. Um, are we naturally driven to 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 the content because we would be if it was given to us, anyways, or the presence of the content content mm. within this mass production with huge platforms and also social peer pressure around you create your demand for, for 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 that content yeah do we do we have a need to consume or is our the degree of our need to consume kind of fabricated yeah by the by the options available yeah i think that's an interesting thing where we are constantly creating in the face of boredom and we are constantly creating in the face of an increasingly complex society whereas there was more downtime before mm -hmm. because it was less to consume now the downtime is entirely filled and if you wanted from the moment you wake up to the moment you die uh the moment you wake up to the moment you sleep <laughs> from birth or or from the moment you're born to the moment you die there's enough content to consume mm -hmm. but there's more than enough i mean there, there's uh i don't even know uh how uh if anybody's quantified it i'm sure they have how many individual lifetimes worth of content there exists on the internet it's probably some astronomical number um yeah. But yeah, so I think that's that's an interesting point is that but but this is also a product of of luxury to a certain degree is that as we create more leisure time for human beings as we you know hopefully it, at least to some in some capacity progress not in a sort of a, a general all-encompassing progress but we have progressed in that most people don't do hard physical labor in many places um, not even most people in most places, but at least most people in many places don't do hard physical labor every day. Mm -hmm. um, in that sense, there's some kind, of, some degree of progress you could you could attribute to that. And so you have people who are less exhausted and people who maybe work 40 hours a week instead of 100 hours a week mm -hmm. like they did 100 years ago or 120 or 160. So I think that creates also, there is a dual incentive uh, for for corporate environments to 
allow people to have more leisure time because then it's also things to do with the money. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's almost like we've been given more time to ourselves and we've been given more money. But what we do with that time and what we do with that money goes just to different companies in general. And so it's this interesting sort of sort of balance. No, I, I, I agree with you. I understand that there is a basic uh, or a baseline uh, on, on which we need entertainment. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how you, you can put it. So we are, we're bored. Uh, and then if someone sells something to fill the time, we, we buy it. But it is the time of, it, it is the, the type of thing that it becomes um, um, most consumed. So it's, 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 it's not a, I'm not talking about uh, how the industry of entertainment works. I'm talking about how certain specific beliefs becomes value and therefore becomes a token for, for the exercise of power. So that's, that's, I think it's much more, more, um, the way that I see is much more identity based. Um, so there are things in your group that will be valued and other things in other groups will be valued. Um, and what I was talking before about the belief of what resources are valuable and, and therefore can be powerful over us or can, 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 can be used as a tool for power is that if if there are mechanisms of fabricating the beliefs of what is valuable and what is not then power is a rigged game on on no day so aside for the resources because we're talking about the resources and the beliefs right and there's some somewhere that they meet in the middle and if if we can fabricate the value, then aside from this very, very um, drastic asymmetry in resources, and someone would fight for for food or for a, a indispensable natural resource, everything else in society is just a rigged game. On I tell it like on where I can increase my power by always making you believe that what I am or what I have, it's what I need to exercise power over you, and that's all that it is. The other cases are quite rare. In some cases, difficult to disentangle from the rest. Yeah, I, th- I think fundamentally what you're talking about is is advertising. Yeah, you know, is this capacity to generate power purely by building a narrative and getting introducing into people's conception of themselves the fear of the lack of a thing, mm-hmm. which then they themselves can provide. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, that all of advertising is fundamentally built around around people's fears. It's mm. let me tell you what you're afraid of, so that I can sell you the remedy. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly all of advertising's great promise. You are afraid of this, I have this, come buy it. So I think this, the, the, the great shift in people's mindset when 
when people got used to the consumerism and got got used to the advertising, is we actually look for things to be afraid that we lack, mm. so that we can go buy those things. What do I need to be this way or to be perceived this way?、Mm-hmm. Is literally me saying, "What should I be afraid of? Please sell me my own fears and sell me the remedy for my fears." And that's a very interesting way that we now engage with reality, and that's. That's of course a very、uh, privileged interaction with society because we have plenty of interactions with society in which the resource is what's being fought over.、Um, you can probably make the case that well over a billion、uh, individuals on on the planet are actually fighting for that,、mm-hmm. you know, in in one way or another.、Uh, whether I was actually talking to an anthropologist、uh, from here yesterday. Um, she works on fishermen's rights in a lake in Armenia,、mm. and it's literally and and this is the same case worldwide. When I was in, living in Sri Lanka, they we also saw similar problems where you have you have a government trying to privatize the fishing industry in the lake, but people actually fishing for sustenance.、Mm-hmm. And what are these? And so there you have a very real problem. But the interesting thing is how problems like that are sold to everybody else because then、uh, we have this concept of. Uh, environmentalism. There's the true environmentalism, which is how important it is to actually protect our planet, and then there's sort of like the greenwashed environmentalism,、mm-hmm. which is、um, the one is an actual. Uh, well, I would say it's justifiable existential fear、mm-hmm. <laughs> in a proper environmentalism, and then the greenwashing is the fear that you will not be seen as progressive, and so I can sell you on this greenwashed thing.、Oh. And so that's a very Interesting、uh, problem, and what you have in this case is environmentalists being concerned about the lake and the individuals and the fish, and then the greenwashed environmentalists being like, "Oh well, fishermen are bad because they're not controlling the fish population."、Mm-hmm. So you have these two; they're they're dressed as the same thing,、uh, but they're fundamentally different things, and they have different opinions on the actual the actual fact. Yeah, I think you you put it perfectly because、uh, I I shouldn't have said that.、Uh... The fight for resources are rare. No, no, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah, yeah.、Uh, what I what I meant is it's it's how entangled they can be with what you like. Your example is perfect. I think、um, it's a lot of things going on. Well, people fight for resources every day, especially third third world countries. <laughs> uh, um, when um, every day is a fight, right? For resources,、um, but yeah, I don't know. I think the question, the, as you,、uh, like the example that you gave as the greenwashed, it sounds so first world country Western kind of a kind of kind of like mindset kind of a kind of phenomena.、Um, And that's bothersome because because、uh, it's so loud. Yeah. And、um, and yeah, I think people are still fighting for resources, and that's that's, in my opinion, it should be the biggest issue to be tackled in 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 relation to 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 power dynamics on how to make sure that that、uh, people can be. People can provide for themselves, <clears throat> or um, um, 
yeah, we have we we talked about PKT before, or like, and there has been a discussion in Brazil for a long time, like for the right for land, the right for for or the ownership of property and things like this. Um, the the fight, the this the power struggle over resources are very real, and they there I I think I I didn't put it myself very clear before. But um, but yeah, I see I see this dimension on where even on, on where you can take a real fight for resources and kind of uh, transform in a fight for uh, uh, for self esteem. For sure. Yeah, I think that's when when you get the the narrative from special interests winning the the sort of narrative war because in every situation you have a war over which narrative is going to prevail mm -hmm. and you have to appeal to certain people um for your narrative and i think the 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 thing about something like greenwashing is it's a very cheap narrative to produce and it's a very cheap narrative which provides like as somebody consuming that narrative if I'm accepting the greenwashing, it allows me the self-esteem boost and allows me to do nothing. Mm -hmm. So I think the the great the great victory for 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 special interests for corporations when they're trying to win a media narrative is to offer the general public consuming that narrative a cheap way to feel good about themselves, mm -hmm. which costs them nothing, and to make them feel like they're actually on the right side. That's that because usually the the narrative being sold by the sort of um, potentially anti-capitalist side, or the, the side trying to change things, the environmentalist side, uh, is that there is work to be done. And mm -hmm. that's a more difficult thing to sell. You can feel good about yourself, but, you ha but there is work to be done to do that thing. And that's a lot harder to sell. Mm -hmm. Like environmentalism is much harder to sell than, than greenwashed um, pro pro mm -hmm. earth kind of bullshit, mm -hmm. um, and so I think that that's where where um, a more robust understanding of what the problems are, and uh, starting earlier in education for sort of like like the critical assessment of of information and media narratives, and this kind of touches into what we were talking about on the last episode, mm -hmm. right? Which is uh, the asymmetries information and narrative and, and critical thinking when trying to assess the information mm -hmm. uh, is so important. But it's, you know, I wonder if, because it's so tied to the individual identity and and taking the easier road is so tempting, uh, getting easy gains to self-esteem is so tempting that whether there's a clear-cut way of, of reducing the power that cheap narratives like that have. Do you think that um, when... Ex true or material existential threat starts to be reduced. We transition to. We have to put a, the the existential threat on something that is a belief, and our material uh, resource itself. Man, that's yeah. That that's a hard one, right? That's, it gets us into like I think a, a dark territory where it's like, well, when you remove people's need for the resource and you create this privileged sort of more luxurious position where they only have wants, like desires for resources, beliefs that the resource is necessary rather than um, 
the belief actually posing a physical threat, um, then then we get into then we get into problems. Like, do you do you only transition from living in an overexploited country to living in an, in a country where you are just inundated with advertisement and things you should buy, mm-hmm. uh, or can we can we transition from uh, people actually fighting for needs that they uh, resources that they need? You know, does it necessarily have to lead to people uh, not engaged and only going to consume things that they want? Mm-hmm. I think there's probably a better way there where we transition away from consumerism while still providing the resources everybody needs. You mm-hmm. know, um, yeah, it's sort of more of a Marxist view mm-hmm. on uh, the theory view on on how society ought to progress um, without lapsing into anything like uh communism or, or hardline socialism per se, but there is a sort of um, everybody ought to have their needs met type of belief, um, which can, I think, be done without lapsing into this um, this more consumerist pro, pro-capitalism mindset. Mm-hmm. But, well, it, it still makes sense for me that consumerism it's it's a is the 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 wheel for for power uh manifested right so you look around you see what is valuable and you wanted to have it because you want to have more power mm. right well it, you, because you are still attached to the existential existential threat that doesn't exist anymore uh, you still live in a uh, in a welfare society, and um, if you go if you go jobless, you're gonna have a um, social security, and you have social housing, and you have a community that can help you out. You can have a um, you have a big family or whatever, and you um, still have to 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 strive for power because. In your mind, in your uh, on your evolutionary path, what happened was that if you don't, you die. So look around, see what makes you more powerful than others, or what what makes other people believe that you are more powerful than them, and get it. So in this sense, I mean, does power need to necessarily mean dominion over others, or? Can we start from power is the name of the whole spectrum, and even if you gain power relative to yourself, mm-hmm. that that's gaining power. Like ostensibly, yeah. I could gain power, but not gain dominion over anyone yeah. either. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's that's an interesting way to talk about power because it makes me think more about like how inequitable systems, properly equitable, you get everybody having equal power. Mm-hmm. Um, if power is a spectrum from zero to um, ultimate dominion over everybody else, uh, if power encompasses that full spectrum, uh, then when we look at equity, how we can define equity is everybody has equal power. Whereas uh, one other way of looking at equity is that there is no power, is that there is sort of an equal um, footing that everybody might have uh, because of the systems of equity that we might build in place to to ensure that outcome and outcome of something closer to equality um you know where we try to remove power from the system but if if it's in this way where it's a full spectrum then we can say equal power 
Hmm. But that's the thing. I think one of the, as a social species, one of the most valuable resources, it's the other uh, agents within your environment. And if you can control them, imagine you have all the money on the world, you're the most richest person in the planet. What else would you want if you have all the material resources you, you could possibly use during your lifetime? You, what do we call that? What do we call when, when, when multi-billionaires want to appear in the media and make statements that shape a kind of a kind of a of an image of themselves in a way that makes them feel better by because that that's that's influence right that's that's a that's a resource so yeah i think people can 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 strive to 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 have can can be driven by the 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 willing to have more power over themselves than they had yesterday. But as a social species, I still think that one of the, one of the, the, on the, on the end of the spectrum of resources, the resource that you, that would be most desirable would be power over others. Hmm. If you have, all other material resources that you, you, you can you can have, what, what can you do? I want to control what the others, you know, and it, it can be so, I don't want to use the word evil. I want to use something else, but like. Malicious. Malicious, yes, that's good. The, the idea that you can make someone do what they don't want to do, mm. It's it's a it's a hell of a of a of a kind of boost for your self esteem. So you're working on your own self esteem. You want it to feel powerful, and the way to do it's by making someone do something that they would not do. Mm-hmm. So um, it's hard to. It's, I think it, as a social species, it's hard to disentangle the thing like. Yeah, we can we can go we can go stoic and we we can we can just like yeah I just have to improve myself, but you know there is the aspect of I want to be seen as holding this identity, so all of these uh, self improvement gurus and all of the people trying to 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 have uh, um, uh, morning routines and and doing all of these complicated kinds of schemes to plan their their lives, yeah. Some people wanted to wanted to 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 be better. Some other wanted to be seen as better, and that's a, that, that's a side of the story. But I think there is there is this kind of like malicious ultimate power that is. I wanted to have. I, I wanted to be sure that I can make people do what I want them to do, or I wanted people to believe whatever I want them to believe. And so on and so forth. So, I think you have um, you have individuals who have no, very little capacity for empathy, if at all. 
I think that that fully falls into, in a clinical sense, psychopathy. Um, somebody that you could call a psychopath without exaggerating is somebody who would say lack any, among other things, lack any capacity for empathy. I think that those individuals are 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 capable of seeking power to the nth degree in that they have no uh, capacity to feel empathy for the um, attainment of ultimate power over others to do and believe what other what they want. So I want to make everybody do what I want them to do, I think is is indicative of a very large psychological problem in that they have a, a lack of of empathy there. I think that individuals, while we might want some people to do some of the things we want some of the time, I think we are, we're also okay to acquiesce to doing certain things that other people want some of the time. And I think that they, we're okay with this kind of balance. Like a parents and child. I think even like, like friends. A, yeah. Yeah, I think any friends, any any relationship that we have, any healthy social relationship, what what makes the power equal is not full equality in every domain is is equity through the idea of I have power in this domain because it makes sense and you have power in this domain because it makes sense. I think that's that's how a healthy relationship functions. If one person has power in every domain over the other person in their relationship, that's not a relation that's not a healthy relationship. That's a that's a power dominion. Mm -hmm. It's a subjugation of somebody else. It's not a relationship. Mm -hmm. But I think what, what we have with healthy relationships is I will do this I'm good at this, or I will do this because you hate this, <laughs> and you will do this because I hate it, or you will do this because you are good at this. I mean, so we have that that balance. So I think that's where, when we're looking at relationships, equity makes sense. And this is not this is in in romantic relationships, this is in friendships, this is in co-working environments, uh, where we have to uh, balance based on a more nuanced task and competency and desire related. Uh, power structure rather than uh, just, you know, the pure bureaucratic corporate structure of this is the role, this is the person, and try to fit everybody into boxes. And of course, that, that system doesn't work well and isn't psychologically healthy for anybody involved and mm -hmm. creates a hierarchy of power as opposed to some kind of more flat hierarchy of we'll do the things we're good at and the things we want to do. Mm -hmm. What about if you believe that you know what's best for the other person? And therefore, they should do as you think that they should do. Like entirely? Like you think you know everything that's best? Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I would say that the person is delusional. And I would also say that they, you they, so. that they lack respect for that person. But, but yeah. there is the case of the, the parents and the child as well. Like you can, uh, parents well, are delusional. <laughs> yes. I, yeah. You know, to, to have a child is to succumb for a period of time to absolute delusion, right? I mean, it's, I know, and there are times when the, and this is a sort of consenting um, f fully cognizant agents, right? Like we have cases where people are cognitively impaired and so they aren't capable of caring for themselves. And so that's a different thing. And you can look at children as cognitively, cognitively impaired, right? I mean, they're not, they're not there yet functionally. So you can say, yes, you shouldn't eat the rat poison. I know it's bad for you. It is. Uh, but after a certain point, I mean, a parent trying to Um, impose on a 14-year-old is a completely different thing from mm -hmm. a parent trying to impose on a three-year-old. Mm -hmm. And then as they start getting older, it becomes more and more ridiculous where instead of imparting advice, you actually try to impart control. I'd say it's a very unhealthy parent-child dynamic. Mm -hmm. um, 
You remember the joke I said? Uh, it's like it's a joke that everybody uses on their PowerPoints when they have a presentation about power. On the uh, what is um, the the masochist uh, said to the sadist? Oh. Beat me, <laughs> and the sadist say no. no. <laughs> So and yeah, the, yeah, it yeah. is kind of like an, a, a good example of how uh, <laughs> how we, we, we build the beliefs of what's the resource. So the the masochist, nice. for, for the masochist, the resource is to be beaten, right? So he wants the, masoch, the, the sadist to beat. So he wants to actually change the, ma the, 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 the masochist, the, the sadist uh, intention, which is to beat them. And it goes against what you, I think it goes against what you're saying about like, okay, well, there are people who are not empathic, right? So if I wanted to be mistreated and I, I wanted to do something that he would not do, and, and this thing is actually mistreat me, that's, that's a, that, that is, it's, it's not, it doesn't. It doesn't look as malicious, right? As 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 the the whole thing. But I think like those are domain specific. It's domain specific. Yeah, it definitely like. Uh, I mean, there's the whole. Um, there's like the whole community of like the sexual fetish of Dominion, mm -hmm. but you don't necessarily want to be like urinated on all the time. Okay, Sorry, right. I didn't mean to say it. it's not necessarily that that's that's a thing. It's just that you know you don't want to have somebody have power over you all the time. Yeah. But there are certain cases where it's erotic, and so we might play in mm -hmm. certain ways. But I think it's still a play. I think it's still a suspension okay. of the reality. What about what about um, people in cults? Um, they hold the belief that they are actually getting something out of it, right? They are getting the community, but they are deeply. Um, uh, being like they're being depleted that they're being like robbed of of actually a lot on their lives but within their heads they are in the right place on that power structure yeah like religion like religion <laughs> in general yeah 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 i think this is still uh or this is not still this is akin to selling people what they're afraid of yeah no, and i think every cult leader um, religious or otherwise, <laughs> what they're what they're selling is a, a fear of death mm -hmm. or a fear of the control by some cabal. Mm -hmm. It's like there is there is a power structure. We are powerless in the face of it. Um, whether that power structure is you know the biological clock of of your own demise, you know, mm -hmm. uh, or is some cabal of individuals running the world. The, the selling of somebody of a conspiracy theory is, I know you're afraid of this, here's the solution. Mm -hmm. And the very interesting thing is when we look at conspiratorial mindsets is a lot of times what people are sold is that they are still powerless, but what they can gain is the knowledge to know what's happening. Mm -hmm. It's like, I feel so uncertain and so... Uh, and, and feel such a lack of control with what's going on with society and the earth and human trajectory that it comforts me to believe that that five lizards living right under the crust of the earth control all of human activity, mm. you know? And so that whatever the conspiracy theory is, that's an extreme example. But if you take, you know, Bill Gates is trying to microchip us, that's basically lizards living under the ground. You know, I mean, it's, it's equivalent. It's mm -hmm. just that instead of lizards, it's people. Um, 
But the idea is the world is such a mess. I have no power over what this microchipping is, but at least I know what's going on and everybody else is is delusional. Mm-hmm. And so that that gives me comfort, even though it doesn't give me power, it gives me the knowledge of power or mm-hmm. the, the, the power of knowledge rather. And so that's a really interesting sort of psychological phenomenon is it uh, we open up this, uh, this vacuum where I need to consume something to pacify my great degree of uncertainty, where it's social uncertainty, um, or, or, or a broader sense of sort of like global uncertainty that we might feel. And conspiracy theories, religions sort of fill that gap. Mm. Can we, we could summarize. Um, so uh, we, we, we end up so far talking about the broad spectrum, the macro spectrum of power in society in general. We didn't talk about uh, inter uh, or like dyadic or triadic relationships. But that's that's still very interesting because I think we we managed to kind of like to summarize that yeah there are people who want food, water, and um, other things. Um, there are people. Well, I think it's a genuine resource giving the evolutionary pathway and um, the psychological um, 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 mechanisms which we operate with, which is uh, um, belonging. So um, I think that's genuine. Uh, I think, well, I think you could survive in a cabin in the woods alone for the rest of your life. Um, you Physiologically, you would survive that. Uh, but I think it's for the, ma- the immense majority of people that would be physiologically hard to do. Um, um, and there is on the other side just the use of fear to make people believe that in order to have more power you should have something that you do not have and those are basically the, the power structures in place and the macro spectrum of society. So in this sense, we could we could look at these three different kinds of things. Um, there are probably more. I'm just uh, skipping stuff here, but I, I wanted to to get into a mind map of our conversation so far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the dyadic-triadic relationships are really interesting, uh, especially when we try to uh, understand what's going on 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 the individual level mm-hmm. when they accept or concede power mm-hmm. and then what's going on sort of at the group level when we try to understand power as not a belief which you get on the individual level but power as a phenomenon which you get at any level greater than one person mm-hmm. so whenever you have two or three people you have beliefs at the individual level but what you get that emerges is this phenomenon of power dynamics mm-hmm. and i think that that that's quite interesting. And the contextual factors end up playing a large role in that if you don't account for the context, you're never really going to be able to account for the people or the phenomenon or the beliefs involved. Yeah. I think, well, we could talk uh, also about um, uh, decision-making because that's that's uh, that's what my um, power in decision-making, that's what my, my research is. But I think we would need another entire episode. I think we will be talking about power 
very often and as as my topic of interest I will be talking about it very often and but we would need more episodes because um just one hour and so it's not it's a very broad subject I think I I forgot something else in my mind map I think yeah. um, we talked about the self esteem um uh as a resource as yeah. well well the the self esteem is also belonging right yeah I'd and also mm-hmm. being powerful so I think I think it's actually within the things that we have said so so belong belongs also an interesting thing um so people have different understandings of of what belonging is i think that belonging is built on the back of the need to survive mm-hmm. i think that belonging is something that's just ingrained in as a social species that your best chance of survival is community engagement mm-hmm. uh and i think that that's why self-esteem is so important because if we see ourselves as valuable then other people will like us and include us in the groups so that we don't get ostracized it's mm-hmm. sort of outdated uh, or excessive in today's environment where we have states and systems to care for people in states that didn't actually do that uh <laughs> like the United States for example uh but where we do have and obviously to 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 a large degree the United States does have programs where you are if you are in absolute need even they will take care of you um where you have you know medicare but these are like when you're living below the poverty line so it's a, but you have states that will care for you even if you are completely ostracized from everybody else around you um but before that before complex societal networks what you had was if you are ostracized that could mean you are alone and you will die. Mm-hmm. And so th- I think the the base fear that we have why self-esteem is so important and why we also do see a lot of of people unfortunately deciding to take their own lives because of uh issues with their social circle. Um you could fundamentally attribute that to to low self-esteem, but that that's obviously not in any way to diminish it, uh, but to highlight the importance of what it means to have a conception of ourselves which is valuable. Mm-hmm. which we believe other people value. Of course what what we think is valuable is what we think the people we value value. Mhm. <laughs> so I think person A values this, I think person A is valuable, therefore I value what person A values. And so this is a very sort of complex recursive way of building out who we are and how we are and what we believe we we ought to be. And so th- this I think that when we're looking at something like belonging we need to to couch it in understanding potentially the sort of the evolutionary basis for this especially when we get to and I guess maybe I'll, I'll put some links to this in the in the show notes is when we see that social ostracism the a lot of the physiological and neurological response to social ostracism is built on the back of the system for pain for physical pain mm-hmm. and that i mean we should have an episode on on pain itself i think pain mm-hmm. is a super interesting phenomenon take a, take a deeper dive into the nervous system but like that getting built off of the back of pain is a really interesting sort of thing where you're like okay how does how does a a biological organism build something as complex and abstract as the need to belong and it kind of starts to fit in and and make a bit more sense theoretically when you say okay well there is this clear function of of sending signals uh to represent damage and we might as well use those signals that represent damage for physical pain and build something off of like a social reputation damage mm-hmm. and so it becomes a very interesting and very deep topic 
Yeah, that's 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 why I said that's a, for me it's a genuine resource because uh, we feel it as needs like we we feel hungry, we feel thirsty, uh, we feel cold, uh, and we also feel ostracism. Yeah, physiologically, that's uh, I also mentioned. Yeah, some people can do well in a cabin in the woods, but most of us would not feel that well. Um, but you, yeah, you, you you basically you put it you put it back again in a better way <laughs> than I would do. The uh, um, the, the how how you get it uh, um, entangled with belief. So you, you is the belief of what is valuable within the group. So you wanted to adopt the same beliefs within the group because that's the group <laughs> that you are in. Or did, that you believe that you are in. In the case of no old days, uh, um, um, uh, group um, building, right? So we are, we, we believe we are in the same group of, as a as a person and the other side of the world, uh, which is like completely different. That of the mechanisms that develop our need to belong. So we need to belong within this group. We need to belong within our clan. So we don't want it to be kicked out of the tribe we don't want it to be kicked out of of this this piece of land or this household but now we feel that we are in the same group as a person in china or a person in canada or, and 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 that goes really sideways with with the with the with the process that has put us uh in track to be competent social uh, organism. <laughs> yeah, it it's an interesting thing because when we talk about uh, the need to belong and in the context of power, how people who are chasing power are really subject to sort of their psychological need to belong. But instead of saying, I'm going to look at the society and build some kind of social niche that matches that, that, I, that could help me survive... It's that people say, I'm going to create a dependency around me and then be the individual nexus for the social group. So I cannot be ostracized because my belonging, my existence within the group that I create is necessary for the group to exist. And it's sort of this really basic kind of pathetic need to say, instead of of, of being a social being, I'm going to be some kind of dominant being and mm. build the society around me so that if I collapse, it collapses. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of the, the ultimate way to ensure your progeny, right? Like to ensure that you continue to exist is declare yourself God and Pharaoh and then just build the society around you because you know that your offspring will continue to exist. It's like ultimately nesting your genetics in this very big shell of of millions of bodies and you are just uh protected your genetics in this in this like huge shell of meat it's it's quite trippy as a as a concept it's is quite out there but it's it's interesting right like what that also makes me think of something like um like maslow's hierarchy where when we're looking at a hierarchy of needs is it this is this is my question to you is it that uh power emerges as a need some people feel when the highest ends of the higher of the hierarchy are not met like okay i have i have my base needs met say i have 
you know, the lowest tier and the tier right above it met. But maybe I don't have the higher social and affective tiers met. Maybe I try to fill that vacuum with power. Yeah, that's the, that was the, the, the question I, I posed before, actually, right? This, uh, as we moved out of the, the um, yes. existential threat, You're right. yep. are we moving to power for power uh, uh, kind of behavior? Is it, that, is it that because we don't have other needs met in that in that social realm that we see power as a way to meet mm, those needs mm-hmm. needs rather yeah. than avoiding power and meeting the needs yeah. directly? Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's that's that would be the way to go. I think maybe um, we I, there there is something. I think I, con- I I I mentioned it to you before. Um, I mentioned to other people. Uh, how I feel, uh, and, and I'm going. Well, I'm going to do something wrong because I, I was going actually to to make a distinction between Western societies and or like the rest of the world. Uh, but actually, I would include myself as a kind of like a not Western tradition. But what what I wanted to say is just <laughs> U.S. and Europe in general. Okay, uh, that's that's what I w- or. Yeah, U.S. And, and Europe in general, and it seems that to me, like um, there is a t- some other countries start to catch up. There is obviously in Brazil as well, but you, societies they start to be like kind of a hyper uh, 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 social. So they put a lot of emphasis on, and 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 that's also maybe a consequence of, consequence of. of um, or or, or kind of like a bad reflection of individualism because at the same time that the, you you <clears throat> yourself has this intrinsic value put by yourself you also start to look around and you need to increase your value in relation to the others um and I, I was just going to be a, to do a stupid kind of comparisons, just like about how I see the size of the families, uh, especially in Europe, when compared to like a Latin American family, where like a, we go to our granny's uh, house on the weekend or in the parties, and you have like this huge amount of cousins everywhere, and the kind of like the. A lot of your social life, it's kind of like it has this bubble around, the, which is the family. And you kind of like, like from very young age, you start to navigate your family's kind of social structures. And it's just like you you you, you become like family socially competent in that way. And um, I always, I, I always, I, I always... W- that's this is just one small talk that sometimes I have with people uh, with small families. Just like the comparison, how did you grow up and how did I grow up? So it's just like how how does it work? What, what did you learn that I didn't? How 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 did it go for you? And I don't know if that would have any relationship with it. Um, I think it I think it must because you you raise an important point, right? Like the the large family provides you insulation from ostracism in a mm-hmm. sense because there's something about kin where you are never going to be truly or you are very rarely going to be truly ostracized from your kin 
And so that that family dynamic helps provide a sort of stability, psychological stability and insulation from, to some extent, financial or uh, woes, uh, actual needs being met, and then obviously all these sort of higher end uh, social ostracism, where even if I don't have any friends, I can spend time with and enjoy the company of my relatives. I think that that's a very important thing, and probably if we do some. I'm sure even people have looked at this, but uh, sort of larger scale studies on people's ability to withstand social threats mm-hmm. if they have large families, probably a little better. There's and, probably a ton yeah, of papers out there. Probably out there, yeah. And we can put someone in the notes because uh, yeah. we're going to look it up and probably going to find something interesting in the yeah. direction. But I think it's, um, yeah, it definitely has been looked up before. I yeah. just came, I, I just uh, brought it up just because. Um, because uh, it, it keeps on my mind, yeah, the the idea that, um, um, as I said, yeah, uh, the family kind of isolates you from 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 social ostracism, and um, and I see some. It looks like there are some trends on on countries w- which families are usually smaller now, uh, on which. It doesn't look. Like, it, it, we could be looking at it in a different way. It's just that, just only the material resources are met, and therefore we start to look for power and the social uh, um, a dimension. And therefore, you and, and if you if you put the layer of consumerism on top of it, so companies just like using greenwashing, pinkwashing, or whatever washing they do. Um, you you start just to 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 be fed with like you start to 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 reproduce it. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the things that make you accepted in a group or um, have more power in a group, um, and um, th- those are those are it seem like not big concerns on either in places where people are concerned with the material resources they need to to attain every single day or either uh, they do not feel socially ostracized, especially because they have big kin or, or other things. like. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because we, as a nation gets more financial wealth, uh, you start seeing the birth rate sort of decline. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting thing because on one end, you can assume that there that there are two factors. One factor is the idea that people's view of a large family as necessary to insulate them uh, is lessened. So I feel less of a need to generate a large family in order to to shield myself from the rest of the environment, say because uh, maybe the country is more stable, maybe social networks are more stable, maybe the economy is more stable, so there's there I think there are a lot of factors that go into that where the less stable an economy is, the less stable a social fabric is, I think the better it is to have a very large family. But if those things are really stable, then I think some people might discount the value of a large family mm-hmm. because they might say, well, some of these things that I would have a large family for are taken care of by the social fabric or the government or whatever. But I think that there's another aspect where uh, as a nation becomes more uh, financially wealthy, you get costs increasing and therefore the cost of actually having a child uh, increases. So you have 
sort of a lack of social pressures, but an increase in financial pressures. And those things together work to make the families actually smaller. But they're two, they're two different things. It's like my threats in one domain decrease, but my threats in another domain might increase in terms of how much it actually takes to care for, for a child. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of them meeting the needs and the norms, really the norms of the society that we're in. Like I might have more children in one place, um, but how much it costs just because of the economy to raise that child is different, but also the expectations of what raising them might be different. Um, like in the United States, you'd need to save money for them to go to an expensive college. It might not be necessary, uh, but you do it and, because that's also the norm. And so it's all of a sudden becomes way more expensive to have a child aside from the fact that you actually have to you know, pay hospitals absorbent amount of money to, 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 to just have, have a child in a hospital, which is a crazy idea. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, and then all these other really expensive uh, costs to, to, to having a child from daycare to you know, uh, maybe taking time off work or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I came across something a while ago. I don't quite recall what was it, but I can look it up and attach it to the notes as well. Uh, it was like the best predictor for uh, uh, fertility, uh, natality rates was actually uh, women's education. So not necessarily uh, wealth of the country, but how much education women have on that country. Yeah, it's a multivariate problem because the education of a country, uh, the education of the women in a country well, usually determines the There world. are co-correlations. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, I, I wouldn't even say correlations, I'd say codependent. Codependence, yeah. Yeah. But but I don't know, that's why I wanted to look it up again because because the idea of, of this study was actually to disentangle uh -huh. because because of the entanglement of uh, codependences. So we say, no, actually look at education. If you look at education, you 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 will see going the right direction, and um, yeah, I mean the the empowerment of women in general seems to be like the number one thing to do to increase every every other metric of, of quality of life. Mm -hmm. There's a maybe maybe you read it from um, uh, there are, there is a duo of journalists. They're they're um, partners, um, Cheryl Wu Dunn and Nicholas Kristof, who've done a lot of work on this. And they have a book from probably 20 years ago called Half the Sky. And Half the Sky uh, talks about um, a lot of the, the plight of women in many places, focuses a good amount of, on, on sexual violence, but also just on uh, the lack of education and resource provided and equity provided to women and how a lot of the problems we see um, start to diminish and dissipate as we build equity into the system, which I mean seems obvious, but it's it's important to talk about and note. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because um, I, I was thinking that because I I heard this thing about like yeah having children is expensive in certain countries or not, which doesn't hold right because because um, every child needs the same thing anywhere on the world, but but the cost could be different, yeah. The cost like, could, could, yeah, could, you could have governments that subsidize, which they do, baby formula and, you know, th things that children need. And you could have countries that don't subsidize any of that. So the cost could be radically different. Yeah, but 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 the, the countries which have a, a larger birth rate, they are the ones that were probably harder economically to raise a child than the countries actually that provide a lot of... Uh, uh, 
um, yeah. incentives to have child. So that thing, that thing doesn't hold. So what well, I'm looking at... I think the incentives to have a child, uh, a lot of the countries that have more wealth are the ones that have uh, oftentimes even less incentives or less subsidies for for parents, especially if you look at, say, the United States, the UK, France. I mean, they you you don't get too many. We're in Austria, where there's a whole ton of incentives, yep. including huge parental leave and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do get things where the the per cost, uh, the per child cost over 18 years is, and this would be an interesting thing to do, and I'm sure the data is out there, but the the per cost child rearing from zero to 18. Uh, as a proportion of the average wealth of the country would be like the way to sort of look at this problem. Mm -hmm. And I think my guess is that in the United States is probably one of the highest in the world. Yeah, but I think, think, actually, I would agree with what you said before, that is the belief that raising a child is expensive because what do you think that the child will need, which is... better education, hospital and stuff. So but that's, that's, that's what it. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. it would be. And another thing that I would add there is actually it might be in a highly competitive society just having a child decreases your power, right? Decreases? Yeah. It's in, in a sense that... Depends on the domain, yeah. Yeah. If you're in a conservative community, it yeah. probably increases your power. Yeah, If I, you're in like a high-impact I mean, corporate community, it would probably decrease it. I mean, for women in general, if you are... Um, if you are in a in a corporate environment, or if you are, so yeah, there was actually the was it the the, um, the Nobel Prize winner, right, the la- of the last year? Yeah, so, yeah, the most recent Nobel Prize yeah. winner for economics. So, 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 what, what was she saying? The, um, there is a correlation between. Um, well, I'm gonna butcher her her insights now, but we can put it up as well. And yeah, but there is a relationship between. Um, um pregnancy and women's um um social mobility yeah um and i'm not going to go deeper in that because i'm going to butcher it yeah. i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to we'll put a link in the notes but she's she's an economist who worked on gender equity particularly in the workplace and around pregnancy and the social mobility of women so it was uh this is the work that she did and she won a nobel prize in 2023 for this um well it, it is interesting but yeah i, I would go on these as aspects of power as well uh, in today's society. And um, I don't know how did we get to the child stuff here, but <laughs> I don't remember oh, how, yeah, I guess how, like how did it get having here. Having large families is an insulator mm. of social threat. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, then, then having children is a whole other type of power dynamic mm. uh, where, yeah, I mean, there are, I can think of, I can think of different friend groups that I have, for example, where some in which having a child having children is very much a part of the reality mm-hmm. and part of also kind of acceptance mm-hmm. into that rea- into that world. And then other communities where not having a child is kind of more of the accepted norm. Uh, and the interesting thing is uh, what happens when you decide to be a, a family that has one child. Mm-hmm. And I think I have a, a lot more friends that fall into this like group of people that have no children that end up having one child mm-hmm. <laughs> than mm-hmm. the people who are like, okay, we're going to set everything else aside and build this brood, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> two, three, four children. Yeah. That's super interesting. It just reminded me of the super interesting documentary that I watched a long time ago, actually. It's, it has a couple of years. Um, and I, I, I bring it up this uh, sometimes, especially if this is the topic. 
and is about um, pre-teenagers, pre-teenager girls on um, on Rio de Janeiro uh, favelas that get pregnant. So they are 12, 13, 14, 15, I guess. It's like four or five te- uh, pre-teenagers on the documentary. And they're pregnant and the documentary is talking to them. So going a little bit about their lives and talking to them. And um, I have to watch it again, but my take out of it is that like, they're super proud of it. They're super um, excited about the, the whole, like obviously there's the whole hardship, the whole, the, the whole thing, the prospects of, of being a, a child mother and um, already the hardships that there is in the favela. But there, there, there is a follow-up to the documentary that I didn't watch, but it's like interviews with them uh, years later. And I have to watch it. I, I just watched it a few minutes, but I have to watch it completely. But I, 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 my take out of it is that they are actually, they were actually looking at the motherhood as, as um, as a as a passage, right? That would grant them um, some status. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them said something about, yeah, my mom is going to have to respect me now because I am also a mother. And now I am my own woman. They're like 13. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> so, yeah, well. and but because you brought up, well, there's like, depending on, on the environment, you wanted to. Yeah. And, and it's, it's just like a really good documentary. And um, it, it always got me thinking about like how, how status are built and how that influences like decisions like, like having a child that young. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and how, how you try to... Uh, accumulate a little bit of power uh even if it's you know in the absolute sense of just trying to get into a system that's more equitable for yourself uh maybe you lose freedom and powers in some domain but you might gain some kind of uh better equity in your in your um intimate social relationships Mm -hmm. like with your parents say Mm -hmm. and that that's difficult like the things that people will do to uh better their position some of it, which is, if not most of it, which is externally defined uh, by the by the norms of society based on what's sold to us by political narratives and what's sold to us by commercial narratives. And mm-hmm. I think that that balancing that power that that social structures, political structures, um, and sort of corporate structures have over us is is really important. To sort of analyze of. Do I do I really want this? Do I really need this? Uh, or or is a fear of mine being fab- is a fear being fabricated and then that fear being sold to me mm-hmm. and then me spending time resource part of my life trying to remedy the fear that I didn't have to begin with but was sold to me mm-hmm. and I think that that's a really sort of important way to to try to navigate the world which is a very again a very privileged way to attempt to navigate it but. Uh, if we have the capacity and the, the luxury of trying to mitigate the fears that are sold to us, uh, then uh, it, it's beneficial, I think, for our psyche to try to do that. I think that's a good ending note. Yeah, yeah, we can we can wrap it up there. Uh, but yeah, as I said before, I think uh, that's a discussion that um, it could it could go much longer and will and will and, will. <laughs> and there is much more uh, topics. We just 
actually we're we're trying to warm it up right the our topics here so it's a way to start off and uh, we will be coming back to it um eventually yeah until next time until next time <laughs>